Welcome back to the 2AM Book Review Club, where we stay up late talking about books or talk about books that made us stay up late. This week, we are kicking off a brand new mini-series. So, it's August, we are approaching the end of summer, and I thought what could be a really fun, relaxing, chill little mini-series was a mini-series called Hot Book Summer, where I read books that I am aware have been popular so far this year, and I tell you my thoughts on those books. Did I find them to be worth the hype? Would I suggest maybe reading something else instead? Now, I do have to warn you that the vast majority of everything I read is books that I check out from the library. And the problem with trying to read popular books from the library is that literally everybody else has the same idea. Everybody else is like, hey, it would be really great if I could just go to the library and check out this book that everyone is raving about so that I can see if it's worth the hype, if I would enjoy it. And so in this mini-series, I'm not going to be talking about the very latest or the very hottest books, just hot books that have been popular so far this year and which I have waited often months for my hold to come through on the library to give you an idea of just how insane the wait times for popular books at the library can get. Okay, I am currently 157th in line to read Lessons in Chemistry, which I have been dying to read for a long time. So at this rate, my library is estimating that I will get to read this book in 26 weeks. I mean, not all popular books have that bad of wait time. For example, Happy Place by Emily Henry. My wait time for that book is finally down to 11 weeks. So I'm very excited to get to read it in a couple of months. Hopefully I'll get to read it by Christmas, but you get the idea. I really do get very excited when I see that books are gaining a lot of mainstream attention and popularity, and I want to know what's going on too. I don't want to miss out, but I often have to wait a very long time to see what everyone else is so hyped about. And because I tend to have to wait a long time to read these books, and because I know that so many people love them, it does kind of create unfair expectations for these popular books. There is only so much 
that a singular book can do. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of the time, my opinion about a book is just going to come down to my personal preferences, right? Like, what do I enjoy reading? What do I look for in books? And that doesn't necessarily say anything about whether you would enjoy the book, for example, or the quality of the book, or anything like that. It's just, I finally, finally got to read this super hyped up book, and now, what do I think? Was it worth the wait? Would I have preferred to go read something else that was more easily accessible to me? So that's basically the idea behind this mini-series. I had to wait so long to read these books, and now I thought it could be really fun for us to talk about them, to kind of go over how I felt after reading these books, and maybe to help you out if you are also thinking about checking out these books, but you know that you're either going to be buying them full price or waiting for literal months at your library. Alright, so that's what we're going to be doing for the month of August. We are going to be doing Hot Book Summer! And our very first book that I'm going to be covering in this mini-series is, not so coincidentally, the book that I was most excited to read out of all of the hot books that we are going to be covering in this mini-series. And that book is Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. Note also that this is a 2023 release. The very first 2023 release that I am going to be talking about on the podcast, which is so exciting because that is a milestone that I have wanted to hit for a while now. So, very excited, very excited to have read this book, very excited to finally, finally get to be talking about it because I I do have thoughts. But before sharing those thoughts, I am going to issue my usual spoiler warning, my usual spoiler alert. This is a very new release in the grand scheme of things. It only came out a couple of months ago. And given how popular it is, I know that other people are most likely excited to read this book as well. This is not a deep dive episode by any means. This is just kind of a lighthearted discussion that goes over a couple of points that I wanted to talk about, and so I do kind of spoil the shape of the plot, if that makes sense, but I don't go into super great detail. Sorry, not great. I don't go into super deep detail on any plot points. I don't really spoil anything major, I think. (laughs) No promises, but essentially, If you want no spoilers at all, then maybe back out of this discussion and go listen to a different episode. But if you're okay with kind of like spoilers as in this is the direction that the plot goes and this kind of thing happens in the story, then 
then hopefully this episode will help you out in deciding whether or not you want to read it. But yeah, definitely keep in mind that moving forward, we will have spoilers. Not major detailed spoilers, but there will be spoilers. So, spoiler alert, spoiler warning, you have been warned. Right off the bat, I have to admit that beyond the absolutely charming title, what drew me in almost immediately was the cover. Now, this is just my opinion, but I think that fantasy books get the best covers. I think that there are so many gorgeous fantasy book covers, and the cover for this book in particular is so beautiful that I honestly, if it had been up to me and my impulsive side, then I would have just bought this book without even reading it because the cover is just that beautiful. It would have looked gorgeous on my shelves and I would have regretted nothing. Now, did I do that? No, because that would be a very irresponsible use of money. But, but I was seriously, seriously tempted because the cover is just that beautiful. There is also an alternative cover that is interesting because the main cover, the cover that was on the ebook I read, is like a very dark cover, if that makes sense. And there's like beautiful, more light colored flowers, right, on the cover. But the alternative cover I've seen is so interesting. So instead of having like that dark background, it instead has a really light yellow background. And the flowers also, on the original cover, I think, right? The flowers are more of jewel tones, but on the lighter colored cover, I believe the flowers are more light colored, more pastel. And so personally, I think both covers are just so beautiful. And I do, having read it, I do want to buy myself a copy and I'm kind of hesitating on which one I want because both covers are just so pretty. But anyway, what drew me in, what made me really want to read it was the cover. I was like, if a book has a cover this gorgeous, then probably someone also put a lot of time and effort into the story as well. But going back a moment to the title, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, I think that this title is not only the perfect encapsulation of the book's whimsical, cozy fantasy atmosphere, but it is also a perfect encapsulation of what the book is and what it's trying to do, the story that it's trying to tell. This book is about Emily Wilde, who is writing an encyclopedia about fairies. She studies fairies. Her entire life is about studying fairies. And studying fairies is what she does for the vast majority of the book. And the reason I feel the need to highlight this is because I feel like so often, especially in fantasy books, 
The title sounds really intriguing, but it doesn't actually end up having much to do with the story. For example, the title might sound like it's promising you a story about young fairies learning how to sor- learning how to serve at the high fairy court. But then it turns out you start reading the book and in the first couple of chapters, the fairies leave the court and go off to fight a dragon. You know what I'm trying to say? I have read so many fantasy stories where the title just didn't have much to do with the actual book. But this book, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, it gave us the book, the story that we came here to read. And I am very happy about that. I'm very grateful for that. I I got what I wanted, you know? Diving a little deeper into the actual story itself, the premise of this book is pretty simple, which I do feel is probably par for the course when it comes to cozy fantasy books. Not that I've read very many. This is, I think, the first major mainstream popular cozy fantasy book I've ever read. And so I think that that's how most cozy fantasy books are, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, the premise is essentially that we have Emily Wilde, and she is an English academic who studies fairies. She is a professor of fairy studies. And in a way, you could kind of consider this book a little alternate history, since this book is set in historical England, but It's a version of historical England and historical Europe where people have always known about and accepted fairies as real phenomena, real beings. Since fairies are a widely accepted phenomena, there are people who study fairies, academics who make a profession out of trying to figure out who fairies are, how their societies operate, and just like, what are these creatures? And one of those academics is Emily Wilde. And at the beginning of the book, she has traveled to a fictional northern European country that is supposed to be very far north, and which I think is supposed to be based on either Iceland or Norway. I'm leaning more towards Iceland, but I'm afraid I don't know that much about that area of the world, so I may be wrong, but I am definitely getting major Iceland vibes. And the vast majority of this book is Emily writing in her journal about how she is exploring the surrounding countryside, the countryside that surrounds this little village that she's staying in. She's exploring the forests and the mountains and she's discovering fairies, she's making friends with fairies, and just in general, she's observing everything that goes on around her because, as the title suggests, she is trying to write a comprehensive 
Encyclopedia of Fairies. Now, there is also a huge focus on Emily's relationship, or rather lack thereof, with the people who live in this village where she's staying. And then in the second half of the book, we finally get some plot happening. We have some some things that kind of contrast with the much more slow-moving first half. But in general, I do think that it's fair to say that this book is less about what actually happens in terms of plot and much more about the atmosphere and the feelings that you get while reading it. Because as much as books tend to be split up into either plot-driven books or character-driven books, I do think that there also exist books that are all about the atmosphere and the vibes. And Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies is definitely one of those books. It is a book that you read because you want these particular cozy fantasy fairy academia vibes. You read it because you want those paragraphs and paragraphs of Emily walking around the countryside and describing the scenery and looking out for signs of fairies. You read it because you want those scenes where Emily is down in this cozy village pub on a winter's night and everyone in the village has gathered at this pub and they're all kind of trading stories about their life in the village and the fairies and things like that. And you read it because you want to read those fairy academia footnotes. Now, out of all of the things I've just listed, you might be surprised when I say that I found the footnotes to be one of the most effective tools that the author used to create this immersive atmosphere. So in the footnotes, Emily explains various aspects of fairy lore and she cites other fairy academics or references the books that they've written about fairies. And in general, I do think that it makes this alternate world where fairies not only exist, but people are studying them and kind of dissecting them in an academic way, it makes that alternate world feel much more real. But also at the same time, it's also very clearly tongue-in-cheek. Like for example, when Emily is kind of being mean or dismissive to some of the academics and she's like, but my work is going to be so much better and so much more comprehensive. It's all very amusing like academic rivalry. And I think that this duality of the footnotes helping to make the atmosphere more realistic, but also helping to make the atmosphere more lighthearted. 
I think that duality highlights what is probably the book's biggest strength, which is the way in which the narrative balances the charming, quirky lightheartedness with the slightly more earnest and sincere side that takes the characters and their emotions and their situations more seriously. Speaking of characters, let's talk about Emily Wilde herself. Now, I do often like to talk about female characters, and in particular, what I usually like to talk about is the ways in which female characters are presented and treated in books. And can I just say that I love the way in which Emily Wilde's character is set up? Emily Wilde is a woman who is not necessarily easy to like. She's stubborn, she's a loner, and she doesn't particularly care about playing nice and making friends and being likable. But she is also very smart, very capable, very competent. She knows what she's doing. She's very, very good at what she does. And all she really wants out of life is to do her job. All she really wants is to go to these places and study fairies and find out more about this hidden world. And I really love this, especially for a female character. I have encountered these types of characters in other books before. I always love reading about them. But in general, I find that these tend to be male characters most often, and I really love that we get a female character who is allowed to be whoever she wants to be, and she's not being forced into this pleasant, smiling, cheerful mold that women, and especially women, in this historical context were expected to fit into. And what I especially love about Emily's character is that there is a point in the book where Emily specifies that she had a happy, normal childhood. And it's not trauma that's informed who she is. This just is her personality. This just is the way that she interacts with the world. And I really like this message that there's nothing that's necessarily wrong with Emily. And it's okay to just be, to just exist. Emily's character was a major part of what drew me into the book and kept me reading. The voice that comes through in her journal entries is so strong and so distinct and it's this perfect balance of competence like you can tell right away that she knows exactly what she's doing and authoritativeness because she is an academic and being authoritative having authoritative knowledge on this very niche area is what she does it is who she is, right? So 
there's that. She's competent and she's authoritative, but she does also have this less kind of serious side where she's, you know, introducing us to the work of other academics and she's kind of poo-pooing it. You know what I mean? It's all just a lot of fun to read. And I think that this so-called curmudgeonly character is the perfect contrast to the otherwise very whimsical fairy story. I feel like if we had had a different protagonist who was maybe more of a traditional, likable, adventurous, cheerful, you know what I mean, character. The kind of character you often find in adventure fantasy stories. If we had had that kind of character, I feel like maybe it would have gotten a little bit too whimsical. So she was just a really perfect balance and contrast to the overall story. However, having said all of that, I personally did not really like the direction that the author chose to take Emily's character in. And I do have to admit that part of the reason I don't like that Emily's character was taken in this direction is because the thing is, I just wanted this book to stay the same, if that makes sense. The first half or so of this book is such a cozy, evocative, atmospheric, charming reading experience that I just wanted it to stay that way for the entire book. I didn't want anything to change. I just wanted Emily to keep going around the countryside and keep investigating fairies for 200 pages straight. But given that this is a full-length novel and given that most readers would probably get kind of bored if that was just the entire story, it does make sense that the author did feel the need to have things like character development and plot and, you know, all the good stuff that you normally expect from full-length novels. However, however, while I understand the necessity for it, I still don't like the character arc that Emily goes through. Basically, it's the most predictable character arc for this type of character. Essentially, Emily just has to learn to be nicer. She learns to get along with people. She figures out that it's nice to have friends. Hooray! And one reason that I don't really like this character arc is because it is so predictable and trite. I mean, I do kind of feel like I learned this lesson as a toddler reading all those books where this basically was the moral of the story. You need to play nice and make friends and sharing is caring. I just didn't personally feel the need to have this same message conveyed to me in my adult fantasy book that I was reading for pleasure. And then the other reason I just didn't like it is because I liked 
Emily's character just the way she was. I liked that there was nothing necessarily wrong with being who she was. I liked that she didn't have trauma that needed to be fixed. I liked that she was someone who was very focused on her own work and her own career and her own research and her own life. I really liked that, particularly, particularly for a female character. I feel like that's just not something I come across all that often in the context of female characters. But then we get all this stuff about actually Emily should be nicer to people and get along with them and... I don't know. I guess it just kind of disappointed me that that was the direction we ended up going in. It's not that I dislike the people in the village and it's not that I dislike that Emily made friends. I mean, the people in the village seem pretty nice and it's great that Emily was able to help them. But like also, I didn't really find the village characters to be all that interesting. There were two village characters that I did find to be interesting, but they weren't really the ones that were focused on the most. So the ones that we did focus on the most were kind of, well, they just felt like side characters whose primary motive was to move the plot forward, which is what they were. And that's fine. But for Emily's original character, to be sacrificed for those people. I mean, yeah, it was just kind of disappointing for me. I just wanted, I didn't mind plot happening, but I guess I really would have liked it if Emily's character had been allowed to just be who she is. I mean, for example, in the Sherlock Holmes stories, which I bring up because, first off, they are kind of set in similar time periods, I feel, but the other reason I bring it up is because Sherlock Holmes, I feel, is kind of similar to who Emily Wilde is at the beginning of the story. Sherlock Holmes is definitely curmudgeonly. He finds it difficult to get along with people. He's very smart. He's very competent. He loves having this specialized knowledge that allows him to do what he wants to do. And throughout the series, well, you know, there are 56 short stories and four novels, but throughout the canon, the Sherlock Holmes canon, there are moments where you definitely see his humanity, like for example, his relationship with Dr. Watson has some very touching moments, but overall, he stays the same throughout the series. He stays this very focused, not necessarily likable, very, you know, brilliant man who is first and foremost focused on his life and his career and the things that he wants to do. And I just think that it would have been really cool for me to have seen kind of an analog for that in a female character. I really love these types of characters who don't sacrifice 
who they are just because that's what society wants you to do. And I guess I just thought that that was the direction that the author was taking Emily Wilde's character. And it wasn't. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the direction the author wanted to go. And I do respect that because I know that there are definitely going to be people who read this book and they are going to see themselves in Emily Wilde and they are going to be helped by seeing the connections that she forms and the way that she's able to open up to people and I think that's great. I am very happy for whoever reads this book and comes away changed or inspired or helped in any way. Like, I think that's great. However, for me, for my personal tastes as a reader, I just found it to be a little disappointing. Speaking of things that I found to be a little disappointing, I also need to bring up the romance subplot because... Of course I need to do that. It is probably my second favorite thing critiquing romance subplots, but I am just trying to improve the often horrifically messed up world of romantic subplots. So I am actually doing the world a favor. And the biggest issue I have with the romance subplot in this book is that I actually really loved it to begin with. I actually really thought that it had the potential to be one of the strongest aspects, strongest, strongest aspects of the book. So essentially the romance is a very slow burn enemies to lovers or maybe rivals to lovers vibe and it has pining and a little bit of angst and it's just really, really cute, okay? It's really adorable. Okay, the thing is, I liked it best when it was kind of sprinkled in from time to time, when it was a little bit of flavoring that was just, you know, making things a little bit more interesting along the way. But then there comes a point I want to say about 75% of the way through where I just felt like the romance subplot went off the rails. It just got derailed. So what happens around the 75% mark is they finally like get around to being like, I actually, you know, kind of have feelings for you. It happens in every, you know, romance subplot. So that's great. But the problem is is that from there, things are just kind of a confused mess. There's a marriage proposal, and then there's like, I don't know, it just gets kind of weird. Like, you know, it gets all messed up. All of the vibes that I was enjoying just completely fall apart. And then the entire subplot just kind of gets dropped it just doesn't progress from that point and I don't I don't get it. I just was like, what? What what happened there? I do not understand. I personally think that okay, so the thing about this book, right, is that it is going to be a series and I do not know. Well, I don't know about series. It has a sequel coming out next year and I get the feeling that this is going to become a series, okay? 
But at the very least, it's going to have a sequel. So the thing is, I get the feeling that the reason the romance subplot plays out that way is because the author wants it to be kind of unresolved so that the characters can work through it in the, you know, future books. But what I think would have been, I don't want to say better, but here's what I would have done personally, okay? And of course, you know, I'm very inexperienced at writing in general, and I've only written a couple of romances myself. I am by no means a romance writing expert, but I have read a lot of romances. I have read so many series with romance subplots, and given that, okay, given that experience, here is what I think I would have done. I would have left it at kind of this mutual oblivious pining for the rest of the book, right? Because this is just book one. And then I think what I would have done is in book two, the characters finally get around to their mutual confession. It leads to kind of a crisis in their working relationship. And then you know, throughout the rest of the series, they kind of work through it. The reason that it doesn't really work for the romance subplot to come to a head in the first book is because it happens so late in the book that there's no time or space for the characters to have any meaningful resolution to the things that they say to each other, and so it's just kind of left hanging. It's just kind of like, wait, what happened there? I don't really get it. Because I don't think the author wanted them to have a happy ever after in the first book. And that's fine. Like, I personally don't like it when authors do that. I don't like when characters are just getting together in one book and then they're just happy for the rest of the series. I find it kind of boring, especially when they get all sentimental and lovey-dovey. It's just kind of like... I don't really like that very much, but at the same time, I do think that if you're going to stretch out the romance subplot, you need to stretch it out maybe a little bit more. Does that make sense? I just think that personally, I think it would have been a better decision to leave it as a complete cliffhanger and not this kind of, I don't know, unresolved awkwardness between them because what I loved in the romance subplot in this book was the oblivious kind of mutual pining situation. I really liked it that way and I just, I don't know, once they confessed and things just kind of imploded, the magic went out of the romance subplot for me and so yeah. I just personally did not really like the romance subplot in this book. But, you know, that's not a surprise. A well-done romance subplot is the real surprise, and I do always try to highlight it whenever I see one that I like. So, overall, my thoughts on this book are that the first half would easily have been my... 
one of my favorite reads of the entire year. The first half is just so perfect. It is so evocative and so atmospheric and so creative and so much fun. The character of Emily Wilde is great. I loved getting to read about her day-to-day fairy hunting adventure life in this remote village in northern Europe. And it's just, I had the best time reading the first half of the book. Then in the second half, I think that things got a little less magical for me personally because I could see where the author was going to go with Emily Wilde's character. Like I said, the romance subplot, I didn't really like how that turned out. And overall, I I guess that what I really wanted was just more of the first half. So yeah, the second half was less, less perfect. But if you put a perfect first half and an almost perfect second half together, then what do you get? You get a really enjoyable reading experience. I loved reading this book. I definitely had so much fun in this world that the author created. And I am definitely, definitely going to be picking up the sequel when it comes out next year. So those are my thoughts on Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, a 2023 release that so many people I notice are reading and which I was so excited to read. And my excitement did pay off. I did have a lot of fun with it. There are so many aspects that feel like they were specifically tailored to my tastes. We had fairy academia, we had cozy village vibes, we had forests, like magnificent snowy forests, we had a really interesting strong female character, I loved all of those things. And even though the second half was a little shaky for me personally, I still found it to be a compelling read all the way through. And of course, that means that this is going to be certified as a staying up until 2am book, which you might not necessarily expect from a cozy fantasy, but the first half is just so evocative and atmospheric that it just makes you want to keep reading. And then in the second half, there is actually plot. (laughs) So that's kind of makes you think like, oh, what's going to happen? I really want to know what happens to all of these characters that I've, you know, grown to know and love over the course of the first half of the book. And so overall, definitely I would rate it a staying up until 2am book. As I said, I will be reading the sequel when it comes out next year, and I am actually really excited about it because I love the world and the fairies and the atmosphere, and I guess I am excited to know about what's going to happen to Emily Wilde and her love interest, and in particular what their relationship is going to look like moving forward. 
So I am really excited for the sequel. All right, so that wraps up our first Hot Book Summer episode. I am slowing down a bit after my Bad Thrillers miniseries. I am making shorter episodes and I am going to guess that you guys will appreciate this as well since it can be annoying to constantly listen to really long episodes. I would say enjoy it while you can because the Spooky Book Support Club that we announced in last week's episode, those episodes are going to be quite long. I can already tell and I'm really excited for that. For more details, listen to last week's episode, which is also a mid-year reading check-in. So if you're curious about my thoughts on what I've read so far this year, definitely check out last week's episode. All right, that is everything I have to say about Heather Fawcett's new book, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies. If you are on the fence about reading it, then I hope you do read it. Well, if you liked the things that I talked about today, then I hope you read it because this isn't going to be everybody's vibe and I totally, totally understand that. But if you love fairy academia, cozy fantasy, and curmudgeonly female characters, then definitely please give this book a shot. I loved it so much. So that is going to be everything for this week. This has been the 2AM Book Review Club. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll be back next week at 2AM. Until then, have a great week, and happy book travels! (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.